0: Welcome to Kelly Drye's Full Spectrum podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Drye Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryefullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, and welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Ross Slutsky, an associate in Kelly Dry's Communications Practice Group. I'm joined in the studio by John Heitman, partner and chair of our practice group. Today we are going to be discussing the FCC's recently adopted proposal to overturn much of the 2015 open internet order, returning to a light-touch regulatory framework for broadband services.
1: John, let's start off with a broad overview of what the Commission proposes to do. Thanks, Ross. The proposed rules do two main things. First, the FCC proposes to reclassify broadband Internet access service, or BIAS, as an information service rather than a telecommunications service. Information services are not subject to many of the common carrier obligations which apply to telecommunications services. Second, the NPRM seeks comment on whether to keep – modify, or eliminate the open Internet rules, which have been in effect since June of 2015.
0: The commission spends a significant portion of the NPRM explaining why it's proposing to reclassify bias as an information service. What are the justifications the commission is advancing for this change?
1: Ross, the first justification the commission advances is that the 2015 open Internet order was a reversal from commission precedent. The NPRM includes a 17-paragraph walkthrough The History of Commission and Congressional Regulatory Policy Toward the Internet, going back to 1966. The NPRM emphasizes that prior to the 2015 order, the Commission had never classified broadband Internet access service, or BIAS for short, to be a Title II telecommunications service. Second, the Commission asserts in the NPRM that under the clear language of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, Bias can only meet the definition of an information service, which the Act defines as a capability for generating, acquiring, storing, transforming, processing, retrieving, utilizing, or making available information via telecommunications. The Commission believes bias offers the capability to perform every function listed in this definition. In contrast, telecommunications is defined as the transmission between or among points specified by the user of information of the user's choosing without change in the form or content of the information as sent and received. The Commission asserts that broadband users typically do not specify the points between which information is sent, and information is routinely changed in form and content as it travels over networks. The FCC seeks comments on these interpretations and their implications. Third, moving beyond the textual arguments, the Commission argues that the 2015 Open Internet Order harmed investment in broadband infrastructure. The Commission points to significant decreases in telecommunications investment, with a decline anywhere from $3.5 billion to $40 billion per year. The Commission exercises its predictive judgment that reversing the Title II classification will increase investment. The Commission seeks comments to provide further data on the costs imposed by Title II regulations. I want to note that supporters of net neutrality vigorously contest the merits
0: of all three of the Commission's justifications. While it is true that bias was classified as an information service prior to the 2015 order, some say the commission oversimplifies the relevant regulatory history. In the early 2000s, DSL Internet services operated under Title II, and in the late 90s, some states actually tried to regulate Internet services under Title VI of the Act. With respect to classification, net neutrality proponents maintain that broadband is better understood as a telecommunications service, and that information processing components of broadband, such as DNS, fall within another statutory provision known as the telecommunications system management exemption. Finally, net neutrality proponents dispute the Commission's economic analysis. Many question the Commission's methodology for reaching these conclusions about a decline in investment. Additionally, Democratic Commissioner Mignon Clyburn indicated in her dissenting statement that the FCC did not effectively measure the value of the open internet order for the broader internet ecosystem and insufficiently accounted for the benefits of the Bright Line rules for large-edge providers like Google and aspiring startups working out of college dorm rooms. While economists are arguably best equipped to answer these questions, it has proven difficult to identify a political economic analysis—
1: John, what does the commission propose to do once it reclassifies broadband? After reclassification, the commission then proposes to upend many of the rules adopted in the open internet order. For example, the commission under Chairman Wheeler had adopted in 2015 a general conduct standard as a catch-all to protect against current or future practices that cause the type of harms the rules were intended to address. The current commission finds the conduct standard to be too vague given that it was intended to be used on a case-by-case basis, and the previous commission only provided a non-exhaustive list of factors to be considered in order to determine if a practice violated the standard. The current commission does not propose an alternative
0: conduct standard. What does the commission propose to do with some of the more specific rules adopted in the 2015 order?
1: Ross, on the three bright-line rules adopted in the 2015 open Internet order, no blocking, no throttling, and no paid prioritization— As well as on the enhanced transparency rule, the Commission does not state whether it plans to retain or eliminate these rules, but asks if there is a clear need for these rules. With respect to the no-blocking rule, the Commission is clear that it opposes the blocking of lawful content, but points out that prior to 2015, many large ISPs had committed to voluntarily abide by a no-blocking rule, and so the Commission asks if there is any reason to believe ISPs would behave differently today absent the rule. On the no-throttling rule, which bans the impairment or degradation of lawful Internet traffic, the Commission asks if throttling is harmful to consumers and if such a rule prevents product differentiation among ISPs. The Commission is also curious if the no-throttling rule is duplicative of other regulatory regimes, such as antitrust laws. The ban on paid prioritization rule was intended to prevent so-called fast lanes for Internet service. The current commission finds that the FCC under Chairman Wheeler adopted this prohibition to address a quote unquote apparently non existent problem. The NPRM asks for comment on the trade offs in banning business models based on paid prioritization and if there is a risk this prohibition could suppress pro competitive activity. I think it's interesting that
0: the commission cites the example of whether it would be in consumers' interest if certain critical information, such as healthcare vital signs being remotely monitored, could pay for prioritization. The FCC also inquires about the practices among certain companies, such as Netflix, to host their own data centers and interconnect directly with ISPs. The FCC asks if Internet service providers should be able to offer an alternative delivery option such as paid prioritization rather than Netflix-style services building their own network. Notably, the commission does not make any mention of existing avenues for delivering healthcare-related broadband services under existing prioritization and differentiation allowances and the non-biased data services exemption from the open Internet order. John, what does the commission say about the transparency rules?
1: Ross, the commission rounds out this section by asking about whether it should change the transparency rule, which was adopted in 2010, or the enhanced transparency rule, adopted in 2015. These rules require ISPs to disclose certain network management practices, commercial terms of service, and performance characteristics. As a matter of public policy, these issues are the most consequential and high-stakes component of the NPRM. The challenge for Chairman Pai is that these rules are generally popular among the public, but have shaky legal standing if broadband is reclassified as an information service under Title I. This was the principal finding of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals in the 2014 Verizon vs. FCC decision, which overturned much of a 2010 net neutrality order by the commission. The court concluded that two of the commission's net neutrality rules – the bans on blocking and unreasonable discrimination were common carrier-type regulations the FCC could impose only on telecommunication services and not on information services. I would also note that the Republicans in Congress have previously released proposals that would codify in some form the Bright Line rules—no blocking, no throttling, and no pay prioritization—in exchange for not subjecting ISPs to Title II as a general legal matter. So there has been recognition that doing away with the Brightline rules is politically difficult, to say the least. Now that we've reviewed the major rule changes, let's discuss what else the NPRM proposes and seeks comment on. Another notable area the Commission seeks comment on is the enforcement rules
0: adopted in the 2010 and 2015 orders, which were specific to Broadband Internet Access Service. The Open Internet Order allowed the Enforcement Bureau to issue advisory opinions and enforcement advisories, and it created an ombudsperson position to provide effective access to dispute resolution. The commission questions the value of the ombudsman position, noting that virtually no one has contacted them regarding a dispute, and also questions the value of the formal complaint rules, since only one formal complaint has been filed to date. The Enforcement Bureau did issue one advisory in May of 2015 offering guidance that broadband providers should take reasonable, good faith steps to protect consumer privacy. This was a stopgap measure until the commission had time to take up its broadband privacy rulemaking, which it concluded last November, but has since been repealed by Congress.
1: The bureau offered to provide advisory opinions on request. Now Ross, I always thought it was highly unlikely that anyone was going to pursue the option to have the very active Wheeler Enforcement Bureau poking around their policies, procedures, and practices. Now, the commission also asks about its legal authority to adopt these rules. One section previously cited by the commission in support of the open Internet order is Section 706. Section 706 says the commission shall encourage the deployment on a reasonable and timely basis of advanced telecommunications by removing barriers to infrastructure investment. Ross, what's the current take on Section 706?
0: The commission suggests that rather than granting authority – Section 706 should be interpreted as hortatory or merely as encouragement for the FCC. The commission also asks if Section 706 actually reflects a deregulatory bent and how it should interpret it as such. Beyond 706, the commission also asks if Section 230 gives it authority to retain any of the rules adopted in the open internet order. Section 230, among other things, Declares it is the policy of the United States to promote the continued development of the Internet and preserve the vibrant and competitive free market of the Internet. As an aside, Section 230 is more commonly recognized for other provisions which serve as a liability shield for ISPs in the defamation context.
1: I think it is fair to say that the commission here is largely looking for industry voices to repeat the same criticisms they leveled against the Wheeler Commission in the rulemaking adopting the open internet order and in court challenges against it. I don't think the commission is planning to rely on comments advancing justifications based on these sections. Chairman Pai may also consider revisiting the advanced services order, which was the decision in which the commission began interpreting Section 706 as a source of regulatory authority. Now, there are two other things I want us to touch on today. The first is some recent news out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers the West Coast. As loyal listeners will know, there was a contentious case before the Ninth Circuit late last year between AT&T and the FTC regarding the extent of the FTC's authority over common carriers. AT&T argued that as a common carrier, it was exempt entirely from the FTC's jurisdiction. The court agreed, and if you want to hear more about that, you can search our archives for an entire episode on the subject. Now, that ruling was controversial, and when Congress enacted a Congressional Review Act resolution repealing the FCC's broadband privacy rules in late March, one of the concerns raised by consumer advocates was that no agency would be able to regulate privacy protections for broadband customers. The FCC would only have been able to rely on its broadest consumer protections and likely only would act in the most egregious of cases. The Ninth Circuit earlier this month announced it will conduct an en banc review of the AT&T versus FTC case, which means it will be heard again by the court. Depending on how that case goes and oral arguments are scheduled for September, the issue of a so-called enforcement gap will likely play into the restoring Internet freedom proceeding at the FCC. What was the second issue you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? Ross, the second issue involves the possible impact of the Restoring Internet Freedom, NPRM, on the federal universal service programs. In her dissent, Commissioner Mignon Clyburn argues that the NPRM undermines the commission's legal authority to support broadband under both the high-cost or Connect America Fund and the low-income or Lifeline programs, since Section 254 requires funds to go to telecommunications services and facilities. At a time when rural broadband access is strained, legacy voice popularity continues to decline, and many state PUCs are prohibited from granting VoIP or broadband ETC designations, Clyburn claims the NPRM undermines the goals of universal service. Comments on the NPRM are due on
0: July 17th, and reply comments are due on August 16th. There have already been over 2 million comments filed in the docket, and it is likely going to generate millions more.
1: Thank you for joining another episode of Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to hear all the latest from Kelly Dry. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily
0: reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.